0: Today's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word.
1: Good morning, East Point Church. Uh, happy New Year to you. Uh, it's great to see everyone here in uh, 2023. I pray that uh, you weren't up too late last night, and hopefully we have enough energy and, and zest to, to lock in on God's Word this morning. Uh, we have heard the Word of the Lord preached. Uh, let us pray uh, and ask the Lord for help uh, as we dive into His Word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, for another year. We thank you for your faithful hand in guiding us through uh, 2022 into this new year. Father, we are here because we we want Jesus to be the center of it all. We want Jesus to be the center of our, our lives, the center of our church, the center of our hearts. And so we're here this morning. We ask that you would, you would teach us. We pray, Father, that you would use me. Would your, would your word speak, convict, heal, and set free? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we start a new, uh, new year uh, here at East Point Church, I, I thought it would be good to examine a passage of Scripture that would encourage us to have the right priorities in this year. Uh, when we think of a new year, I believe there are primarily two ways we approach the turn of a new year. Some of us view the excitement of the new year as a mere myth. Those of us exhausted with the, with the endless New Year's resolutions and the task every year of, of putting together these plans and by February and March finding that our plans have failed, we just kind of give up and throw up our hands and say, there's nothing magical that happens when the calendar turns from December 31st to January 1st. And so those of this opinion would, would argue that uh, this New Year thing is, is nothing more than a myth. But the other and possibly more popular view on New Year's is that of motivation. A New Year brings motivation. A fresh start, a clean slate, and new opportunities to make this year better than the one prior. We have new motivation to lose those stubborn pounds, to, to spend less and get out of debt. And I would argue that there, is, uh, there are benefits to each side of this point of view. And so while it is true that nothing magical happened at midnight when the, clock, when the calendar turned from December 31st to January 1st, nothing you know, no, no, no stars shot across the sky. But at the same time, years and specifically a new year does have value. For what is a year anyway? A year is obviously a time, a measurement of time. It's important to know how old you are. If you're married, it's important to know how long you've been married. If you're working on a job or you own a business, it's, it's important to know how long you've, you've been at that work. And so a new year can signal important milestones and transitions in our lives. For some of you, you will close a chapter of high school and begin a new chapter of college. So as we contemplate the turn of the new year in relation to God, I believe the most important way to consider a new year is to think of years as measurements of God's faithfulness to us. Not only God's faithfulness, but your own faithfulness. Years sum up for us our faithfulness in our calling, our our marriage, our education, et cetera, et cetera. So as we consider this new year of 2023, you may be wondering why a passage on anxiety and worry. As we think over the last, at least the last three years since uh, the coronavirus and COVID-19, we should be more aware of the reality that with each new year comes new challenges. While a new year signals the dawn of new possibilities, there's an unpredictability that comes with each new year. For some of us, we may be walking into 2023 hoping for the best but bracing ourselves for the worst. This reminds me of a a commercial about uh, Florida orange juice where you you have this man sitting at his kitchen table and surrounding him at his kitchen table are people representing all of the setbacks and hardships he's going to experience in his day. And so he has one gentleman that tells him, you're at 10 a.m. your tire's going to go flat and you're going to have to walk through town to your job in the rain. His daughter is sitting at the table. She texts him to tell him that she is still uh, ignoring him. Um, There's another gentleman sitting to his, to his right that tells him that later on today, your hard drive is going to crash and your laptop is going to be ruined. And so two, to all of this bad news, this guy is sitting there and he says, well, at least I still have my orange juice. <laughs> I love that commercial. And they did, they did several of them. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is that that's not the way life works. We don't get a detailed layout of everything that's going to happen uh, bad to us in 2023. And there's certainly problems that we, we may face this year that orange juice can't solve. And so as we look into this passage this morning, uh, my aim is to encourage us that we we can approach, we can embrace 2023 with faith and not fear. And so as we look at this passage, I believe what we see here is the contrast of bondage versus freedom, slavery versus salvation. And so first, let us examine the bondage of worry and anxiety. This passage is is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so as we if you would go back to chapter five, what you would find is that there's a consistent theme in these teachings of Jesus trying to get his audience to see the higher value of the kingdom of heaven over against the value of living uh, with your mind set on these things on earth. As Jesus instructs his his audience not to worry or be anxious about their life he asks a question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In answering this question, I believe social media can be a helpful way to evaluate what we love in life. When you think about the things that we love to post and share about, food and clothing are always near the top. We love to show our new threads, our new shoes, and we love to post pictures of places that we eat, The plate, how they set everything up. Pinterest is full of boards, detailing, outfits for various occasions, recipes, and pictures of food. We take the basic necessities of food and clothing and we obsess over them. And so for some of us, the anxiety of worry over food and clothing is not so much whether we will have anything to eat or wear, but to what degree will we be able to eat, and what degree we will be able to dress. We measure our value and worth on the clothes that we wear, the ability and the frequency we have to eat at five-star restaurants. Many of us wrap our identity in the ability to eat and dress with the best of them. Worry and anxiety works in two directions. Some of us worry about reaping and some of us worry about keeping. There are many in this world that we find that are truly poor, that have need and have real concerns about uh, what they will eat and what they will drink. And so for them, they worry about reaping and gathering and obtaining food and securing clothing to meet their basic needs. And so wherever we are on that spectrum this morning, Jesus addresses all of us in this passage. Whether you're worried about the quality of your food and clothing, or whether you stress about lack and need, we all find ourselves at some point in bondage to anxiety and worry. But why are worry and anxiety sinful? Why is it wrong to be, to be concerned about your daily needs? What Jesus is speaking to here is not just a concern, but the type of concern that is negative, the, the, the type of concern that is unhealthy, Jesus is speaking to the preoccupation of worry. Anxiety is sinful because it seeks to replace and remove. Worry will have us removing our faith and replacing it with fear. Anxiety preoccupies our minds, our actions, and our emotions with the desire of a particular thing or outcome. Worry tells us it's pointless to worship. Anxiety is sinful because it distracts us from God. Satan utilizes anxiety and worry to distract us from the kingdom of God and keeps us preoccupied with the things on this earth and not the things in heaven. Throughout Scripture, we we see Satan use anxiety and, and worry over and over again to take God's people off their focus of him. This is what we see in Israel's exodus from Egypt. Instead of focusing on their deliverance and the one who delivered them, they became overly concerned with and preoccupied with the fact that they had no food to eat. There's a bondage and a weight to anxiety that won't let us escape its grip. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. We are well aware of the effects that anxiety and stress can have on our lives. The saying is true that you can worry yourself to death. And when we think about anxiety and worry, one thing is sure, it's impossible to be preoccupied with God and at the same time preoccupied with the cares of this world. A good indicator of whether your priorities are rightly aligned in life is based on your level of worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety can serve for us as the check engine lights of our heart, signaling to us that something other than God is taking priority in your life. Worry and anxiety should signal to us that our faith tank is on E. But the encouragement we have this morning is that Jesus is teaching us is that there's a way to live that doesn't involve anxiety and worry. Jesus just doesn't doesn't command us to, to not worry or be anxious in his grace and mercy to us. He gives us two examples to help us see how foolish it is to be worrying about our basic necessities. Jesus uses nature to help us see that God provides his creation God provides for his creation from the least to the greatest. In the first of two examples, Jesus calls us to look up and look at the birds. It's quite possible, since Jesus was on a mount, that his instruction to look at the birds was an immediate demonstration. As birds were likely flying around, he's telling them to look, look at the birds that that are flying around us. And not just to look, but to study them, to, to consider and think deeply about the birds of the air. So what is it exactly that we're supposed to learn from the birds of the air? The argument Jesus uses is from the, less, uh, from the least to the greatest. Jesus highlights that birds don't sow seed, reap harvest, nor gather into barns. But do you know, do you know who, who does? We do. We plant, we water, we plan for increase. We gather and we save. The idea here is that with greater value comes greater grace. We ignore nature because we become distracted and anxious over what we believe is our ability to produce in our own lives. We plant, but God gives increase. We have a hand in obtaining food and clothing and our basic needs, but like birds, we are dependent on God to feed us. And we use saying from the con- we use sayings from the context of nature to point to our responsibility to work hard and to seize every moment. We, we say things like the early bird gets the worm. Well, Jesus is helping us to see that while that may be true, our heavenly Father places worms for birds to find. <laughs> Paul, in, 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 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, he says to us, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's amazing. He's saying this in the context that the context of this verse is, in, is is that of giving, and so he's encouraging those that would give that as you give, the Lord will multiply what you need. And so as we plant, reap, and gather, we understand that that's our part in the process. But how much more will God bless His children who labor for their food just? just as he feeds the birds who do not. And so in the second example, Jesus uses, the second example he uses here kind of widens the comparison. When we think of flowers and trees, they can't even move. At least birds we see, they build nests, they hunt for food, they seek to protect themselves against predators. Flowers and trees don't even move and yet our Father clothes them. And their lifespan is obviously typically shorter than ours, but yet God still feeds them. And so what we see Jesus bringing to attention here is that we're actually the crown of God's creation. Now, to say that may, may make you feel a little, at least if you're like me, maybe some of y'all are kind of wanting to pump your fist like, yeah, you know, we're the crown of God's creation, but so that you wouldn't get puffed up by hearing that. Remember, the value of a thing is, is, is what's actually uh, the price one is willing to pay. And so we don't determine or set our own value of worth. Ultimately, we see our value and our worth demonstrated by what someone is willing to pay. As, we, as much as we love our pets and our animals, God never said in Genesis, let us make animals in our image. The organization PETA, which stands for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, if you go to their website, it states that they are against speciesism, a human supremacist worldview. This idea that humans are above animals, they are against that idea. Well, I don't know if Jesus' words here make him a human supremacist, but the fact of the matter is that Jesus didn't come to, do- to die for dogs and cats. <laughs> Jesus didn't, amen, amen. Jesus didn't shed his blood on the cross for the birds and the bees, nor the flowers and the trees. Jesus came, was, died, was buried, and, and rose on the third day for our sin sick souls. So when Jesus asked the question of how much more valuable. We are then the birds and the lilies. What he had in his mind was the cross. Mm. Mm. Ahead of Jesus was the cross where he would prove to us how much more valuable we are than birds and lilies. This is why Jesus can promise to us That if we would just seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added. Because Jesus knows that he didn't have to come to the earth to put food on your table. Our heavenly father demonstrated that with Israel. God literally made it rain food down to Israel. Jesus didn't have to come and hang on the cross for you to have shoes on your feet. However, Jesus did have to come to save your soul. He could have stayed in heaven if all we needed was money, food, and clothing. Jesus came that we would have eternal life and that we would escape the wrath of God. This is the value of the gospel, that Jesus would come down to provide for us what couldn't be provided from heaven. We might need to lose a few pounds, but the weight we truly need to lose, we could never get rid of on our own. The weight of our sin is impossible to remove without Jesus. You can get out of debt and become a billionaire, but you could never repay the debt we owe to our sin. Jesus came and faced the temptation of worry and anxiety in this world and overcame it, and he did not give give in to it so that he might provide what we needed most, salvation. Now think about this. Consider this as we approach this new year. Think about how you might feel if you knew that this year was the year you would die. Would you be celebrating and popping bottles of champagne? This was Jesus' reality. Regardless of how the calendar was situated, Jesus knew each year into his ministry, it's coming. And when that final year came, when that new year approached him, he knew this is the year. This is the year that I would go to the cross. And what we see Jesus doing, he faced it. And how did he face this? By seeking the kingdom of God. Notice Jesus' agony in in Mark chapter uh, 14, verses uh, 34 through 36. Jesus models for us here how we are to deal with the stresses and anxieties of life. So to be clear, I'm not saying that Jesus uh, is, is, is here sinning and worry and anxiety. Jesus is not preoccupied with his death, but yet he takes these things to the Lord. So Mark 14, 34 through 36, he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Moving on to verse 36, he says, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus here is experiencing the weight of of, sin, of the sins of the world, and yet he did not give in. He entrusted himself to the Father. And just because Jesus got up from that situation and moved on to the cross doesn't mean that the weight got any lighter. He carried that weight to the cross. With every step, he's continuing to embrace and entrust himself to the Father. Where, where I grew up, I'm sure you've, you've heard this this phrase or people talk like this often, you, you might hear people say, man, you are worried about the wrong thing. I think essentially this is what Jesus is, 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 get, is trying to get them to see. If you are worried about whether you will eat, whether, whether, what you will drink, what house you will buy or sell, Jesus says to you this morning, you are worried about the wrong things. There is something greater that we ought to give our attention to. And what Jesus is pointing to is that the kingdom of God is the one thing we ought to be preoccupied with. And so as Jesus concludes his message, he reiterates that instead of worrying about the things of this world, we need to be focused on the things above, those things that pertain to the kingdom of God. Jesus brings up the fact that Gentiles worry about food and clothing and drink and what they will wear. And Jesus using uh, using the Gentiles here it, it cuts two different ways. First off, Jews in no way saw themselves to be like Gentiles. They went to great lengths and had laws against even eating with Gentiles. And so, for Jesus to mention that Gentiles worried about the necessities to life, uh, necessities of life, was to to basically lump them together and say, you who think you are so different from the Gentiles, you are no different than they are. And in another sense, and maybe a spiritual sense, Gentiles here represent those who do not know God. After all, it was the people of Israel that God saved and delivered from Egypt. It was Israel that had the laws and the prophets. So Jesus' point here that is, is that when you find yourself distracted, preoccupied, stressed out, and worried about the basic necessities of life, you are living like someone who doesn't know God. Or you have decided to take God out of the equation. So think about the ways, some of the ways we talk about worry and how we express ourselves. I don't know about you, but I, I've never heard anyone say i'm worried that god won't have enough to pay the bills this month (laughs) how many times have you heard someone say i don't know if god will be able to fill in the blank we don't speak that way what we say is i don't know if i will be able to we put i we put ourselves in those situations because we've removed god from the conversation and so perhaps it'd be helpful the next time you find yourself worrying, try substituting your heavenly father into your worry and doubt. Then you might find out how unreasonable it is for you to be worrying about that thing. And so a question for us as you approach your daily life and, and, and this new year is, are you living, are you uh, living your life in such a way that God doesn't even exist. Is he even a part of your conversation or your equation? When we consider God our Father, the one who feeds and provides, do we ever have a legitimate reason to worry? Jesus gives a resounding no. Jesus, in concluding this section of the Sermon on the Mount, by commanding us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he says, all these things will be added to you there's much that can be said about the kingdom of of god but what i find interesting in this passage is is that when jesus is is speaking about the kingdom of god what he's really doing is is he's, he's he's teaching and encouraging them to seek god's rule and reign that it would be on earth as it is in heaven this is part of the prayer that he just encouraged them to pray earlier in in chapter six that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven and so if you're looking for a new year's resolution, a prayer you can pray every day that would be that you would long to live and see the kingdom of God reign and rule in your life and in the lives of those around you. One one misconception we have is that if we devote ourselves to God and his t- in his kingdom, we are abandoning abandoning everything near and dear to our hearts. The goals and plans we seek to implement in this world don't have to be in conflict with the kingdom of God Jesus says that there's room for your desires in the kingdom of God and much more in fact the pathway to actually enjoying life the way it's meant to be is found through the kingdom of God if we are valuable enough that Jesus would defeat death for us why would Jesus then subject us to a life absent of joy Jesus teaches us in Matthew uh, 13 verse 44 that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Psalm 37 4 reads that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus isn't saying only seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's saying, seek it first. Make that your first uh, action of every day. Make that your heart's preoccupation that you would be focused on the kingdom of God. So when we think about the kingdom of God, it naturally brings about questions to mind. It's typically two questions we want to we pose when, when we hear this command of Jesus. The first question would be, what is the kingdom of God? And the second is, how do we seek it? In answering the first question, I think it's helpful for us to understand that the question of the kingdom of God is first, again, first, not a question of who, not a question of what, but who. Again, I say first, we enter the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus. So if we ask the question of who in terms of the kingdom of God instead of what, what we find is that Jesus is the way to the kingdom of God. And so if we're going to understand anything about the kingdom of God, we must must understand that it comes through Jesus. This is what Jesus means in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus instructs us to pray that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus comes to announce, describe, and reveal to us what the kingdom of God actually is. So again, as we think about seeking the kingdom of God, let us first think of who, not what. We cannot seek the kingdom of God without seeking Jesus. So in the second question, you think about, okay, how? Okay, I'm, I, this is a new year, I'm ready to, to, to get spiritually you know, devoted and, and motivated, and you're telling me, seek the kingdom of God. How do I do that? So if Jesus says, uh, you know, we Seek the kingdom of God. We want to know just how to do that. And what, what we find is that we are people, uh, we love how to videos. If you go on YouTube right now and you can find 10 million, I don't know how many videos on how to do stuff. If you search right now how to seek the kingdom of God, there's, somebody's going to come up and tell you how to do it. <laughs> and while knowing how to seek the kingdom of God is important, And while we have plenty of instructions in the scripture, if we are going to keep the first things first in this new year, I think there's a better question to ask than how to. In seeking the kingdom of God, the first question is not that of how, but that of hunger. Not how to, but what are you hungry for? Consider Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus doesn't say that those who know how to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness will be satisfied. But it's those who are hungry. Jesus started out his Sermon on the Mount by making promises of eternal life based on these criteria. These are the non-negotiables of the kingdom of heaven. And so I I could give you a a three-step process, a a list of ten steps on how to seek God. We can stand up here and preach year in and year out, giving you how-tos on how to seek the kingdom of heaven. But if you're not hungry for it, you won't budge an inch. This is what Jesus is saying. In his Sermon on the Mount, he's setting the stage to say, what I'm about to tell you, you have no you won't be successful in any of this unless you your heart and your mind are in these in these in this setting and so the question for us is, is again not not how but hunger are you hungry to seek the kingdom of god are you ready to take jesus at his word what are you hungry for this morning as we begin 2023, do you crave the things of this world more than you crave and hunger the kingdom of God? If we are truly hungry and thirsty for righteousness, the how won't matter. You'll get the how. The how will come. What I want us to, to focus and examine our hearts on this morning is our hunger. Are we hungry do we thirst for God? We were encouraged last week to, to hurry up and see Jesus. And what I find, and I think what you see in this passage in, in the broader context of the Sermon on the Mount, is that those that are hungry, they are in a hurry to find food. And so again, the question is, what are you hungry for? Or for those, I know you just have to have a how-to. Perhaps a better question is, how do I become hungry For righteousness how do I become hungry enough to to seek after the kingdom of God the only way I know to get hungry is to not eat and maybe some of us should take should take some time out and not eat there's a there's a there's a word for this in the scriptures it's called fasting perhaps it might be that you should take time away from your basic necessities in life so that your flesh and your body can feel what it's like to actually truly be hungry. And then by prayer that you would pray to the Lord that he would teach you in your spirit to be hungry for him, to depend on him just like you crave whatever it is that you want to eat in that moment of fasting. Perhaps some of us need to take that step this year. Rather than giving us a list of how-tos in seeking the kingdom of God, I want you again to examine yourself this morning to answer the question of, am I longing for the kingdom of God and his righteousness? But again, if you must have a how-to, here's another. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. We sung it this morning. Jesus instructs them to ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask the Lord to give you a hunger for him. That's simple. You want that hunger? Ask him. He's ready. He's, yeah, okay, let's go. Like, that's, that's what he's, he's, he's waiting for. Ask him. To cultivate a hunger for him. Knock, beat down the doors of heaven until you get an answer. Seek Jesus for faith in the finished work of the cross. And just to give you, just if you haven't seeked the kingdom of heaven before, just to give you a foretaste of what you might find when you seek the kingdom of God, or for some of us, this may be a reminder to us, You'll find that God not only gives us new years, but as Lamentation proclaims, God's mercies are new every morning. Are you looking to be a better person in 2023? The kingdom of of God has a plan for that. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4 tells us that we have a new self we can put on. Not just finding a new coat or a new jacket or new shoes or, or new slacks. Jesus says, I actually have a new you to give and that we would put on the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness and we get to put on the new self. And ultimately what you find in seeking the kingdom of God is that in Revelation 21 it says that Jesus is making all things new. A new you, a new me, new heaven, new earth, new everything. Again, this this newness is reserved for those that are hungry and those that are thirsty. So let's pray to God that we might hunger and thirst after him. Let's pray.